We're starting a brand new series entitled, The Best News That I've Ever Heard. And today we're going to talk about the real benefits of knowing Christ as if I could actually list them for you all in one 30-minute sermon, right? Yet I believe this is really important to us because we often forget the real benefits of knowing Christ. Or maybe it's not that we forget, but we certainly take them for granted or maybe even become immune to them because all of a sudden the best news that we've ever heard becomes yesterday's news like so many other things in our lives. I mean, think of some great news that you've received in your past, like when you first got engaged or you found out you were pregnant or you got the test results and they were negative or you got into the school that you wanted to get into. Think of whatever news that you got in the past. Now, think of those news today, and they're still great, but they certainly probably lost their appeal. They've lost their excitement, and you've already lived through it, and, and it's, they don't make you as excited or as enthusiastic as you once were about them. Well, oftentimes, we treat our relationship with Christ like it's old news, when it should be the best news we've ever heard. Sometimes we forget the the gracious hand that blesses us every single day with choice bounties. And you know what's worst about that? Is that we start to think that all of those benefits from God himself are somehow manufactured by our own power. Listen to what Abraham Lincoln said in 1863 when he was proclaiming appointing a national day of fasting. Can you imagine a president appointing a national day of fasting? Yeah, this is what he said. He says, we have been the recipients of the choicest bounties of heaven. We have been preserved these many years in peace and prosperity. We have grown in numbers, wealth, and power as no other nation has grown before. But we have forgotten God. We have forgotten the gracious hand which preserved us in peace and multiplied and enriched and strengthened us. And we have vainly imagined in the deceitfulness of our hearts that all of these blessings were produced by some superior wisdom and virtue of our own. Intoxicated with unbroken success, we have become too self-sufficient to feel the necessity of redeeming and persevering grace, too proud to pray to the God that made us. First of all, can you guys believe that a president wrote that? And can you guys ever imagine a president saying or writing those things today? You know, I think us in America, we need to first, we need to wake up. We need to look up and pray up and praise up. And it starts by remembering the real benefits of knowing Christ. There's a guy by the name of Waylon Pendergrass. He's 37, and he's from Tampa, Florida, who committed a spur-of-the-moment robbery while on his way home from a late-night drinking session. And a very drunk Mr. Pendergrass forced his way into the house through an open upstairs window. He fills up a suitcase with cash and valuables before setting the living room on fire, you know, to cover his tracks. He then escapes through the back door, and and he makes his way home, chuckling all the way. And only as he turns the corner into his own street, he realizes that there's fire engines outside of this house. You guys know where this is going, right? He realized that in in his drunkenness, he had in fact burglarized his own house and set his property on fire. And this was his, this is a real story. This is, this is what he said. He says, I didn't know I had so many valuables. I had no idea. But what about you? Do you realize how much you have? 
And now I'm not just talking about material possessions. I'm talking about in every area of your life. I mean, we are blessed by God in so many ways because the Bible says that every good and perfect gift is from above. And listen to Psalm 103, which we read about this morning already and we sang about this morning. But listen to it very closely. I mean, it's a beautiful psalm and it says, Praise the Lord, my soul, all my inmost being. Praise his holy name. Praise the Lord, my soul, and forget not all of his benefits, who forgives all of your sins and heals all of your diseases, who redeems your life from the pit and crowns you with love and compassion, who satisfies your desires with good things so that your youth is renewed like the eagles. I mean, this is such a powerful psalm, and it's powerful because it's a psalm of proclamation, And when the psalmist wrote it, which is King David, when he wrote this psalm, it wasn't that his life was great and that he had money in the bank and that his, you know, that that his wife was happy and that his kids were all obedient and that he was in alignment with his boss. No, the, the truth is that this psalm was written in a season of the psalmist's life, of David's life, when he was going through some terrible pain and some terrible heartache. And he makes this bold proclamation that I want to encourage you to do this morning and say this morning that he says, I'm going to bless God and remember all of his benefits that I have in serving him. Because how many of you know that we sometimes forget the benefits of knowing God, especially when we're going through a hard time? But the truth of the matter is, is that Christianity is what allows us to see the world through not only God's eyes, but through the eyes of love, of compassion, and what we also desperately need right now, and I think you would agree, and that is a hope for humanity, right? So this morning, I want to share with you four real benefits from Psalm 103 of knowing Christ. And I know there's so many more other benefits, but I want to share these because these are so important. The word says, so the first one is, the first benefit is forget not your forgiveness. Forget not your forgiveness. And listen to what verse 2 and 3 says. It says, praise the Lord my soul and forget not all of his benefits, who forgives all of your sins. And in Matthew 26, it says, this is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. Not far from New York, there is this cemetery with a grave, which has inscribed upon its headstone just one word, And that word is forgiven. There's no name, no date of death. There's no epitaph, no elaborate eulogies, just one word, forgiven. And this may very well be the greatest thing that could be said of us or written about us. Because we are forgiven in Christ. Because we are forgiven in the fact that our sins are forgiven because we know Christ. There's this... uh, Christian author by the name of Philip Yancey, and he tells a story of a prodigal daughter who grows up in Traverse City, Michigan, and disgusted with her old-fashioned parents who overreact to her nose ring and the music that she listens to and and the length of her skirts, she decides to run away. And she ends up in Detroit where she meets a man who drives the biggest car that she's ever seen. Well, that man in that big car soon becomes her boss and recognizes that, that since she's underage, men would pay a premium for her. So she goes to work for him, 
And things are good for a while. Life is good, but, but she gets sick for a few days, and it amazes her how quickly her boss turns from nice to mean. And before she knows it, she's out on the street without a, without a penny to her name. I mean, she's still turning a couple of tricks a night, but it only goes to satisfy her drug habit. And one night, while she's sleeping in some metal grates of the city, she began to feel less like a woman and more like a, this, this little girl, this child. And she begins to whimper to God and say, God, why did I leave? I mean, my dog back home eats better than I do. And she knows more than anything in the world at that moment, she just wants to go home. So three straight calls home gets three straight connections to, her vo- to their voicemail or answering machine. So finally she has the courage to leave a message and she says, Mom, Dad, it's me. You know, I was wondering about maybe coming home and, and I'm catching a bus your way tomorrow and I'll be there around midnight. And if you're not there, I'll understand. And during the seven-hour bus ride, she's preparing this speech for her father. And the one, when the bus comes to a stop in Traverse City Station, the driver announces a 15-minute stop. 15 minutes to decide her life. And she walks into this terminal not knowing what to expect. But the, the thousand scenes that she had played out in her mind, she, she's just not prepared for what she sees. There in the bus terminal stands a group of 40 people, brothers, sisters, great-aunts, uncles, cousins, grandmother, great-grandmother, and they're all, you know, wearing those goofy uh, party hats and those noisemakers, and and across the back of the wall, there's this taped uh, uh, computer-generated, you know, sign that says, welcome home. And out of the crowd of well-wishers breaks her dad. And she stares out through the tears quivering in her eyes and begins her memorized speech. He interrupts her and says, hush, child. We have no time for that. No time for apologies. We'll be late. There's a big party waiting for you at home. And I tell you that story because her story could very well be our story, except that our sin is different, isn't it? And unlike her parents, God does want our apology in the form of a confession of Christ and repentance. And of course, this story reminds us of another story in the Bible. The prodigal son who came to his senses, and more importantly, the father who ran to meet him and forgive him. In fact, that story is found in Luke, and I'll read it to you very quickly. It says, so he got up and went to his father. Uh, While he was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion for him. He ran to his son, threw his arms around him, and kissed him. The son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Thank God for his grace in Jesus Christ, which enables us to be forgiven. So this morning, I want to encourage you to not forget that forgiveness that you have in Christ. And not only not to forget forget it, but to praise and thank his holy name for it. Because that is an amazing benefit. That's benefit number one. Benefit number two is forget not your healing. Forget not your healing. And that comes from verse number two as well, who says, who forgives all of your sins and heals all of your diseases. Has anyone here ever experienced healing? 
Because in some ways, we all have, right? I mean, throughout the New Testament, we find Jesus healing the broken, making the lame walk and the blind see. He raises people from the dead. But mostly, we see him healing people from the bondage of sin. And oftentimes, he made people do certain things to get healed, like telling them to dip in pools or to put mud in their eyes, or he would uh, say a command to, to signify their faith in him and say, hey, stand up and go, or stand up and walk, or stand up, pick up your mat, and go home. And a lot of those things were in, invasive to the soul, and sometimes they weren't. Like the woman who all she had to do was touch Jesus' garment, and she was instantly healed because of her faith in, in him. And I remember watching like faith healers on TV as a kid. And I was so fascinated by all of those crusades and but what they would say about all this healing. And sometimes they would say that you could heal from, from home and if you would stretch out your arm or touch the TV, that you would be able to heal some of these people that they were praying for. And I always remember as a kid that somehow I wished all of that was true. And I think that stemmed from the fact that we grew up with very little resources, so Sometimes miracles were a way of life for us. You know, no money for doctors. You pray and you hope, and, and that is, that's what becomes the way that you get better. But ever since then, I've had this secret desire, and it's not a secret anymore because I'm telling you about it, but I've had this secret desire to have the gift of healing. And I've always prayed for people that have asked for healing as if God is going to heal them. And as you know, we don't always get what we pray for or the answer that we want from God. You know, I've seen many miracles in my life, but I've also seen times where God takes those people home. Yet, that doesn't change my prayer. I prayed for miraculous healing, not only in my life, but in the life of others. In fact, I remember one time that I had this, this terrible pain. Back on a missions trip in 2004, I broke both of my feet, and I've had some terrible pain ever since then. And there was one time that I was in New York, of all places, and if you guys know that in New York you walk a lot, and I just couldn't stand the pain anymore. I mean, it was, it was just too much. And, and I finally said, you know, I pray for miracles all the time. Why not me? So I decided to take my own advice, and I lifted my hands up and I said, you know, I'm going to take my own advice. And what I tell people to do, which I tell them to fast, to continue in prayer, to be specific, and to have faith, I thought I had all of those. So I started fasting. Who fasts in New York? Well, I had to. And I, I took my own advice. I started praying, and I just once, constantly, and day after day after day, and I believe I had the faith to heal my own feet. But did God heal my feet? My pain didn't go away. But he did do something in my heart that I didn't recognize at the time. He used that to put within me a desire to keep seeking him and trust in his plan. You know, today I've had two foot surgeries, and I'm feeling much better. So did God heal me? Well, I want to believe that he did with the surgeon's help. Well, I want to tell, I tell you that story this morning because I want to share with you that God is still in the business of healing people. And he uses doctors and medicine, and oftentimes he uses miracles to heal us. Nevertheless, the beauty of that, nevertheless, the, the same power that made the lame walk and the blind see and the part at the Red Sea, the word of God says that if we claim it in the name of Jesus, that is same power is available to you and to me. So I want to encourage you this morning to take that into your heart and to use it for your own miracles in your life. Look at what 1 Peter says. It says, he himself bore our sins 
in his body on the cross so that we might die to sins and live for righteousness. By his wounds, we have been healed. And many Christians and preachers are quick to quote this verse and emphasize that Christ died to bring healing to our bodies. And as we know, he came to bring healing to our souls more than anything. But there may very well be times when he brings physical healing to our bodies. So if God has ever encouraged you or healed you in any way, miraculously or otherwise, then this morning, forget not to thank him. Forget not to praise him for that healing. Let's not forget God's healing power. And let's not forget that power that is available to us because there is power in the name of Jesus. Don't you agree? Forget not your forgiveness. Forget not your healing. And the third benefit is forget not your redemption. Forget not your redemption. To redeem something is to take something unbroken and make it whole. Or to take something unacceptable and make it acceptable and of value. And look at what verse 4 says. It says, who redeems your life from what? From the pit. It's talking about pit living. Have you guys ever been there? It's like that Philip Yancey story that I told you about the young girl who ran away from home and ended up living in a pit, right? Or the prodigal son who's living on a hog pen. That's pit living. Or Joseph of the Old Testament who, whose brothers threw him in a pit. And of course, later we know that Joseph was accused of trying to seduce Mrs. Potiphar who lied about him and he was thrown into another pit called jail. That's pit living. I mean, have you guys ever said about something that happened to you? Man, that's the pit. Because that could have been very well pit living in your life. And I can honestly think of all of us have been there in some time or some form. Sometimes bad or negative things happen to us in life and we felt like we were in a deep pit and we needed someone to rescue us or to, to be lifted out. And I know that in many cases where I know of people who live in a pit much of their life because they're scraping for pennies or for food or sometimes they live in abusive homes and, and their fathers are, are drunks or I mean, there's all kinds of pit living, and they didn't choose that. That wasn't their choice. They inherited that by birth. But I also know there are times when we do choose pit living. Like the time when I started to drive across the border from El Paso, Texas to Juarez, Mexico, because the legal drinking age there was 18. Well, I started at 16 because they wouldn't even card you. And it was so convenient. It was only 10 miles from my house. But I, I, by the way, I'm not, I'm not proud of that story. I'm sharing that story to you today because that was pit living. I just didn't know it at the time. You know, back then I thought it was a thing to do. All my friends were doing it. We were all really cool. And that's what we did. But I have to tell you, drinking is never a good thing. And maybe you are still living or hanging out in that pit. Maybe your friends are hanging out in the pit and you're visiting them once in a while because you like that pit. And all of us can see his hand extended out, but for now, it seems impossible to break free. Well, I really like what Joyce Meyer says about that. If you guys know who Joyce Meyer is, you should look her up. She, she has some great quotes. And this is one of them. She says, God causes things to happen at exactly the right time. Your job is not to figure out when, but to make up your mind that you won't give up until you cross the finish line 
and are living in the radical, outrageous blessings of God, the more you trust Jesus and keep your eyes focused on him, the more life you'll have. And then listen, I love this. It says, trusting God brings life. Believing brings rest. So stop trying to figure everything out and let God be God in your life. So whether you're in a pit or a desert season of your life right now, keep your eyes focused on God. Worship him and know that triumph is on his way. Trust in his plan. Psalm 40 says, I waited patiently for the Lord. He turned to me and heard my cry. He lifted me out of the slimy pit, out of the mud and mire. He set my feet upon a rock and gave me a firm place to stand. So what has God redeemed you from? Well, have you ever been tempted? Because so was Jesus. Thus, your temptations have been redeemed by his. Have you ever been hated? Because so was Jesus. Have you ever felt lonely or afraid without a place to call home? So was he. Have you ever cried because you were so sad? So was he. Have you ever in language just to ask why, God, why? Because so did he. Folks, you've been redeemed of so many things, and now we have a place in him. God has redeemed us. He has made us whole from the pit inside of us and replaced it with love and compassion. I mean, it is highly likely that all of us here have experienced some kind of negative pit living. And if the Lord has ever delivered you or redeemed you somehow, then let's not forget about that. Let's not forget to thank him for that, and let's not forget to praise him for that, because that is an amazing benefit too. Benefit number four, forget not your crowns. Forget not your crowns. Verse four and five, this is what he says, who redeems your life from the pit and crowns you with love and compassion, who satisfies your desires with good things so that your youth is renewed like the eagle's. The root word for crown in Hebrew means to encircle or to literally crown. And I want you guys this morning to just envision your heavenly father, a merciful, merciful yet a powerful father who has plenty of time for each of his children and touches us with his love beyond our own comprehension. He sees us as royalty and he crowns us with this power of his love and compassion so that we can live in peace and harmony first with him, then with ourselves, and then with others. I mean, it's telling you, you are royalty. So claim your crown. Consider yourself a prince or a princess. Claim the miracle of him encircling you with his love and compassion beyond your ability to love. We're not talking about human love. This is not a random act of kindness that I'm talking about here. It is the kind of love and compassion that heals your self-worth, your self-loathing, and he gives you confidence to do the things that he has planned out for you, to follow out the plan that he has for you. It is the kind of love that gives you the ability to love and forgive a rebellious child or a wayward spouse or a coworker who betrays you or maybe even a person who has abused you. Not only has he redeemed us from the pit, 
But the word says that he has crowned us and deposited love and compassion that penetrates. It penetrates the very fabric of who we are. And then it becomes this distinguishing mark when we take our position in God's royal family. I mean, isn't that amazing to you? What an amazing benefit. Now, let me ask you, how many of you have been crowned by God with love and compassion? Because I bet that if we took the time, we could figure out so many different times in your life and in your past where where God has crowned you with love and compassion. And if that's not enough, it says here that he satisfies your desires with good things. I mean, has God not crowned you with good things? Like the house you live in or the car or the SUV or truck that you drive? the clothes and the shoes that you're wearing, the food that he gives you every single day. Folks, and I I don't think I need to tell you, but I'll repeat that. Just the fact that you're sitting here in this sanctuary, you are already blessed beyond measure. And I'm not taking away any of the struggles that you may be going to. But when you go to Mexico or you go to the Philippines and other parts of the world that I've been to, I can tell you the very fact that you're sitting in this room, and even statistically and financially, you are blessed beyond measure. You know, some of you know that this church has been feeding the homeless for over 15 years, almost 15 years. And in fact, we're going to go next week, so if any of you want to go, just come and join us. And one of the first questions that the homeless ask us consistently every single time when we first arrive is, what are we having for dinner? So we tell them. Most of them respond with this big grin of satisfaction, but some respond with a frown of discontent. You see, many times we miss our blessings simply because we have the wrong attitude about things. And a bad attitude is a lot like having a flat tire. You're not going to get very far until you change it. Every day we are blessed by God with good things. And obviously some of them are a little more appealing than others. But overall, we are blessed with good things from God. So if he has crowned you with his love and compassion, forget not to thank him. Forget not to praise him. So forget not your forgiveness, your healing, your redemption, and your crowns. And I want to close this morning with this poem that I found that has no author, but it's, it's very impactful. In fact, it impacted me significantly. And this is what it says. Today upon a bus... I saw a lovely maid with golden hair. I envied her. She seemed so happy, and how I wished I were so fair. When suddenly she rose to leave, I saw her hobble down the aisle. She had one foot and had a crutch, but as she passed, a smile. Oh, God, forgive me when I whine. I have two feet. The world is mine. And when I stopped to buy some sweets, the lad who served me had such charm. He seemed to radiate good cheer with manners, was so kind and warm. And I said, it is nice to, nice to deal with you, such courtesy I seldom find. He turned and said, oh, thank you, sir. And then I saw that he was blind. Oh, God, forgive me when I whine. I have two eyes. The world is mine. Then when walking down the street, I saw a child with eyes of blue. He stood and watched the others play. It seemed he knew not what to do. I stopped a moment, then I said, Why don't you join the others, dear? He looked ahead without a word, and then I knew he could not hear. Oh, God, forgive me when I whine. 
have two ears, the world is mine. With feet to take me where I'd go, with eyes to see the sunset's glow, with ears to hear what I would know, I am blessed indeed, the world is mine. Oh God, forgive me when I whine. We started out with Psalm 103, and I'll close with 103. Praise the Lord, O my soul, all my inmost being. Praise his holy name. Praise the Lord, my soul, and forget not all of his benefits. Will you bow in prayer with me? Heavenly Father, we are just so thankful to you this morning for all of your blessings for all of your instruction, for all of your conviction, for all of your provision, Father. We are grateful to you this morning for your word. Father, may we be a people that doesn't forget how blessed we are. Lord, and in such a way that it radiates through our very being and it changes us, Father, that we may go out and be doers of your word, Father. Lord, your word encourages us. We just hear of all these benefits, and so we proclaim them and we take them. We proclaim all of your promises, Father. May they be true in our life, but also so that we may be able to bless others. Lord, again, I pray that this word would be transforming to the renewing of our mind in such a way that as we walk out of these doors, we are a different people, Father, a thankful people, a people that would praise your holy name for all of the things that exist in our life, even the bad ones, Father. Lord, we thank you this morning and we give you all the honor and the glory. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.